0: Growth is the only way to unlock your true greatness, not only to yourself, but to the world. I'm your host, Candace Lamb, and I'm here to encourage you to explore the possibilities of your best life, what it looks like, and what it takes to get there. I've gathered successful leaders all around the globe to ask the questions we all want to know about business, wealth, health, and relationships. So settle in. You're listening to the Growth and Greatness Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Growth and Greatness Podcast. I am your host, Candace Lamb. What's up, y'all? <laughs> I'm so excited to be coming to you all again tonight. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Growth and Greatness podcast is a show where I have the privilege of speaking to leaders all over the globe who have learned the secrets of success in business, in wealth, in health, and in faith. And I'm so excited to be able to share these conversations with you. You. For those of you who don't know, this podcast is available on all podcast platforms, as well as Facebook and YouTube. So if you have enjoyed the content so far, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thank you. (laughs) On tonight's episode, we are discussing five ways to improve your mental health. Mental health is a prevalent topic these days. It is broad and it is far-reaching in its scope. So we understand that we're not gonna be able to explore the fullness of its complexities and nuances in a single conversation. However, our goal tonight is to give you a few tools to help you take the desired steps in your own life to achieve a healthier, happier version of yourself. Please note, this content is not meant to take the place of your physician. So with that being said, let's get started. I heard somebody recently say that note takers are money makers and it stuck with me. So if you are really serious about making some changes in your life, don't just listen to this. I encourage you to grab a notepad or a journal and mine the gems that are relevant for your life right now. Note taking enables you to retain the information long enough to be transformed by it. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest for tonight. Dr. Sharon Apopa. Dr. Apopa is an executive and a clinical social worker with 30 years of experience in the field of mental health. Not only mental health, but really transformational change in individuals, families, and organizations. She has extensive experience with coaching, development, empowerment, and enrichment in corporate community and spiritual spaces. So please help me welcome Dr. Sharon Apopa. Good evening, to you
1: we are thrilled to have you tonight how are you i am full of anticipation and just really enjoying hanging out with you this evening
0: good 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 well listen i know that our conversation tonight is going to be so so good i don't want to keep the people waiting so we are going to jump right in to it Dr. Apopa, as a qualified professional, why do you think that the conversation of mental health has made its way to the forefront of so many conversations today?
1: I think that there have been several impactful occurrences in our community worldwide that have brought the topic of mental health to the forefront. As I start to reflect, I start out with the the Me Too movement that came out several years ago Mm -hmm. and that start to destigmatize the whole issue of disclosing issues of sexual abuse. And of mm-hmm. course, sexual, sexual abuse is one of those major stresses that contribute to our our mental health. So I think that when people started destigmatizing the fact of disclosing about your sexual abuse, it also empowered people who had other crises that had been uh, what should I say they had been muted. Their voices had been muted to discuss. Then people became empowered to talk about that. So we had people coming out about depression. You know, we had. People People coming out about domestic violence, and I think all of those occurrences help to prepare the platform for us to have open and honest discussions around issues of mental health.
0: That is really interesting that you say that. I think we have taken note, and I say we because these, this is a conversation that I've had with a few others just about the differences in the generations, right? So um, I was born in the hip hop generation, and with the hip hop generation came, you know, we're telling our stories, so a lot of our life experiences showed up in our music. It showed up in other artistic expressions. And I think it really changed the way that we began to talk about things because things weren't so hush hush. I mean, I also grew up in a time where I was on the heels of what happens in this house stays in this house, but it didn't really stick as much (laughs) when we started hearing everybody tell their story to a beat. So that's really interesting that you say that.
1: I think that the whole issue of taboo has opened almost now in our current society where everything is reality reality shows reality that everybody's talking about keeping it 100 and things like that and so while there's right. things maybe colloquial or things that are deemed to be associated with young people I think it's empowering everybody regardless right. of what age you are it's empowering all of us to feel to say okay let's talk about the things that I've never talked about before
0: mm mm-hmm. so true so true when you think about mental health. As a professional, what questions do you think that people should be asking that maybe they're not asking about mental health or things that they should be thinking about that maybe haven't really come to the surface of the conversation just
1: yet? I think that... When we think about mental health, we tend to think of it in isolation. We don't ask ourselves, like, what are the contributing factors or, you know, what are the biological, what are the genetic factors? We tend to look at it in isolation as just an individual problem. So mm-hmm. one of the things I think that we should be talking about is, how can I be informed by my biology? How can I be informed by my life experiences to understand what causes me to have risk factors for mental mental illness. Because when we can access and get an answer to that, then we can go on a journey of prevention and intervention.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it's really understanding, like, the, the beginnings of it, the causation of it. What really causes it? And are there populations of people that are excluded? Or what can change in the dynamics of my situation at any given point in time that might increase my risk factors for mental illness? Because mm. we don't really think that. We think it's a certain population, but it's a dynamic. You know, yeah. it's a yin and a yang. It's a it's a component of how much stress, how much less stress, how much COVID, it's all those things. And so one are the real components And how do I keep those things in balance to decrease my risk? Can I say decrease my risk? Because there are some things like biology and things like that that may predispose us that we cannot change, but we can decrease the risk.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting concept when you talk about the difference between prevention and intervention. Because I think a lot of times people don't think about mental health until it's a problem. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm, I'm only thinking about myself. Like, I'm not walking around thinking like, let me preserve my mental health. Most times I don't think about it until I'm stressed, until mm-hmm. I feel like I need a break. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So even being able to build in healthy habits to, to maintain yes. mental health mental health is something super valuable, which is why I'm glad that we're having the conversation tonight. Our topic tonight is five ways to improve your mental health. So before we list the five and get into that, um, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Apopa, what are some telltale signs of deteriorating mental health that we would not readily recognize
1: So one of the things that is our loss of interest in things that we enjoy doing. Okay. We are good at rationalizing. So we, you know, maybe we enjoy going out with our friends and say an incident happens, somebody talks about you or something and you don't go out and you might say, I'm not going out next week because I don't want to be around soon. Mm -hmm. Three weeks later, you're still in the house. Now you're not going out with Jane anymore. If Sally asks you, but you're still saying, oh, no, you know, I think I'm going to stay in. So when we get really stressed out and sometimes we tend to isolate ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when we see that we're losing interest in doing the things that we usually find pleasurable and all, we need to stop and think, okay, what's going on here?
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, and most times we are not self-aware enough to dig right down, to take a deeper look. So we keep mm-hmm. it on the surface. And sometimes we try to ignore it because we do know. We know that Aunt Jane was peculiar. We know some of the family history and so we suppress. Mm. when we see those signs coming but definitely yeah. losing interest in doing things that you find pleasurable it should be a warning sign to check out what's going on. That's, that's really interesting one thing that you say that no. Because I think
0: as we're talking about mental health we're saying hey this is a this is a sign that you know your your mental state is going in a in a direction that's not healthy. But I think the reason why we don't always give credit to that is because we feel like we are controlling it right? Not like something's happening to us. Well, I'm making the decision to stay home. I'm making the decision to, you know, disassociate myself with that crowd. I'm making the decision. And because I, it feels like I'm in control, it doesn't feel like anything is happening to me. Is it, can anybody else relate to that? If so, put it in the comments, <laughs> like, yes,
1: girl, that's me. Yes, girl. Yes, <laughs> girl. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and that, I mean, it's really important because what happens when we isolate ourselves? So when we're in relationship, and I was so excited last week, I must tell you, that podcast was on money. Um, I think it was a really good start because relationships really are the underpinnings of a lot of things that affect us. You know, rather with the quality of the relationship, I should say. So, mm-hmm. whether in relationship, we get um, affirmations, you know, we get uh, pleasure from giving and helping others, and all of those things are important for maintaining our mental health. We get perspective. So, sometimes mm-hmm. when, when we're in relationship with people, we may think, oh, this glass is half empty, and somebody else comes along and says, the glass is half full. So, where we were starting to get de- done, and done and depressed because we thought it was half empty, that's perspective, which we get from being in relationship, lifts and elevates our mood. Mm-hmm. But when you isolate yourself, the reason why it's a sign, it's something that you would want to look at for your mental health. Because when you isolate, the only person you're talking to is you. And God forbid, when you start answering yourself, you know what I mean. So, and so that you're getting that negative perspective, and then that that's the only perspective you see. And we know that our perception of a situation affects how we think, how we feel and how we behave. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's important to be, not to isolate ourselves, to be able to get somebody to bounce off or someone to encourage us and things like and build us up when we're going down. So isolating ourselves is definitely a precursor. Mm-hmm. It's not a clinical sign, I would say, but it's a precursor to mm-hmm. having a decline in our mental health. That is so
0: good. That's so good. And I love that you made the point that when we're isolating ourselves, the only person that we're talking to is ourselves, because I think that that applies to such a broader scope within our lives. It's the same. You know what I mean? It's a continuation of the conversation about relationships that we had last week. When we don't have quality relationships, when we don't have other people that we are in communication with regularly, we really don't have the opportunity to have new perspectives, to change our own perspective. And so if our perspective is not healthy, if it's not accurate, if it's not broad, if it's super narrow, then we just keep rehearsing the same things. We just keep, and nothing new, nothing new can come from old thoughts. Nothing new can come from just the rehearsing of the same old, same old. So that is why those relationships are so, so valuable. And again, towards mental health, that is why it's so good that you don't isolate yourself. So Dr. Popo, what's something else? What's another telltale sign that you'd say?
1: Okay, another telltale sign is an inability to perform what we call your, the task of daily living, the inability to do those things that we really do on a daily basis, take care of ourselves. So you know, you, see, you you get up and you're like, ah, oh, I don't feel like curving my hair today. And we all had that one day. But when you see this as a constant beam, and your hair is getting matted, and you know no detangler can deal with it, that you know, everyone's just saying, what's going on with me? Or you know, when you get up one day and you say, I don't feel like taking a bath, and. But now you're stinking and everybody's moving off the bus when you get on. So when you see, when you start having an inability and that deterioration and you know that you were on top of your game and you never went out with your, your dress and your shoes not matching and now everything's falling apart. That's a telltale sign. Something is going on. You know, when you used to be a highly structured person, and now you're totally disorganized. You can not meet your deadlines at work. You're having poor concentration, poor ability to focus. When those things are going on, it's a sign that your mental health is being affected by something. Mm
0: -hmm. One of the things that you mentioned while we were preparing that I thought was so important to note is that these symptoms don't just we don't just go from zero to hero. We don't go from one day (laughs) we're on top of it and the next day we're under a rug. (laughs) They are they are gradual. They're progressive. And so again, just want to encourage people who are experiencing those stressors and challenges in life, like you may not be at a place where it's critical mass, but it is helpful to take note of these things and ask yourself really, like take inventory, take stock of what's going on in your heart and your mind. Like, am I losing interest? Am I like, these people are going to get whatever I give them today.
1: These clothes are going to be here three weeks later. <laughs> absolutely. And it's important. I like that you brought up for us to talk about the issue of it being progressive. Because intensity and severity has to be measured on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. We tend to like to compare ourselves to others. So we say, well I'm not looking as bad as soon so or I'm not doing as badly as soon so. But when we talk about your mental health, it's comparing yourself to yourself. How was my functioning before? How is my functioning now? Not whether I'm doing better than somebody else. You know, so it's really important to be self aware and take introspection as opposed to trying to measure ourselves Against those around us, because our mental health and our mental functioning is very much individualized. So, Dr. Apopo, let's start by talking about the five
0: steps that will help everybody improve their mental health.
1: So, step number one that I think think is critical is being intentional with dealing with the and the stress in our lives. Stress is a part of our everyday, but there are different types of stress. And when we experience something called critical incident stress, which is when we have a specific event that impacts on our lives that we don't have the ability to cope with events where we sometimes feel threatened, that by loss of life or physical threat to our bodies, when we have the type of critical incident stress. Where we have what we call accumulative stress, and accumulative stress is where we have situations that occur over time that are factors that in, that block us and impact on us emotionally, and all, and we we suppress them. And I like to compare this to the issue and you probably heard me talk about it before because it's like a trash bag. And all of us probably have have had some opportunity to take out the trash. And when we take out the trash, we go from room to room, we collect up everybody's trash, we put it in our trash bag, and when we're running out of space, we put our foot in the trash bag, we push down the trash, and we keep emptying more trash in there. Sometimes when we're not cognizant of how much stress we're emptying, in, the big burst. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with our lives. When we don't, we fail to deal with the stresses in our lives, when we allow the stress to build up, build up, build up, there comes a time when our big burst. And it doesn't always burst in terms of psychiatric emergency, um, but it, sometimes it bursts with, with behavior. As I, Remember we said everything is progressive, so sometimes it's just bursting with inappropriate Behavior. So we're overwhelmed with stress. We're not dealing with it. We're trying to ignore it. We're trying to put our head in the sand and all of that. And then we start showing out in other ways. We get irritable with people. We get short tempered. We have Mm. angry outbursts. When all these things start to happen, it's a telltale sign that something's going on inside of us that needs to be addressed that we're not handling. Mm. So being intentional about dealing with our stress. I have to tell our listeners today that unfortunately, for us. When we close our eyes and we can't see things, they haven't gone away. They're still there to be dealt with. You know, when we were children, we, thought we closed our eyes and everything disappeared. And we're still trying to do that, but they're not going away and it's having impacts on our mental health impacts on our physical health impacts on our social relationships so being intentional about dealing with our stress is one of the key things i think in helping to protect our mental health
0: that is so good that is so good i think so often we are conditioned to avoid we don't want to have hard conversations we don't want to wrestle with those sad feelings. We don't want to wrestle with the anger. We don't want to wrestle with grief. And I use wrestle, but really like just sort through, sit in it. You know what I mean? Just, just, just deal with it. It's almost like we live our lives and we keep building these barricades to keep us from these undesired feelings. And the more life we live, the more those barricades keep kind of closing in on us because we just don't want to deal when really there is so much value in gaining the skill sets to be able to deal. The more we learn, then the more that we grow, we equip ourselves to be able to have hard conversations. We equip ourselves to be able to deal with tough things in our lives. And I'm telling you, the growing process, the learning process is not an easy process, but it makes the rest of your life so much easier because you're not trying to avoid all of these things. I mean, a rug can only hold so much dirt. <laughs> underneath. Fantastic. Our minds can only hold so much trauma. I've often heard it said that what the mind cannot hold, it imposes on the body. So where you That's- may be, you you are experiencing mental health that you can't really sort through. Now, all of a sudden you start having these physical ailments as well. And, you know, it, they feel phantom because you can't get to the bottom of it. But our bodies are so fearfully and wonderfully made that it's all connected.
1: It is exactly right. And one of the things that you've, you touched the one you were talking about as we grow up in life and maintaining the skill sets there's one skill set that very few of us can master very well but it would be excellent for helping us with stress and that's learning how to deal with conflict we are so conflict avoidant and I believe as a co- as a culture we have been ingra- it's ingrained in us that conflict is bad come on you know, listen it, if that's, that's you if you it, feel like you thought
0: conflict was bad and you want to avoid it at all costs I want somebody And put in the in the chat,
1: it's me, it's me, I'm her, I'm she, I'm him, it's me. Exactly. You know, that skill set, if we could just learn that, I mean, I know we're going into prevention and solution now, but just learning conflict management helps to relieve your stress. Yeah. Because we know when our temples are bulging out and our blood pressure is rising and we're getting all of those biological responses that are saying, ding, 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 there's something going on they're uncomfortable with. You need to deal with it. And we're like, no, I'm not dealing with it because we're so conflict avoided. So we have a high blood pressure. We have an aneurysm. We have a stroke. We have all of these things that need not have happened if we just knew how to manage conflict. That you don't do so anything true. else tonight. Run from this podcast and go and learn how to manage
0: conflict. That is a truth. I want to tell a little story about myself. I'm telling myself. Right? So when I was in my early 20s, I hated conflict. I hated it. Okay? And whenever I felt like, you know how you get into situations and you're just like, something needs to be said. Right? And I would physically feel my heart rate increase. My voice would shake. My hands would shake. And I'm just like, I know something needs to be said. Right. And I would open my mouth to say it. For those of you who know me now, thank God for growth. Thank God for change. Okay. Because I would, I would yell, my voice would be 10 octaves higher than what it is. Right. And I didn't know how, right. And I'll say this too. When I began to deal with, conflict in the early stages, oftentimes it was well beyond when I probably should have had the conversation before, right? So I'm at critical mass. Now I can't take it no more. You done hit my last nerve and that's about it, <laughs> right? So that's when I'm having this conversation about setting boundaries or I'm, I'm having this conversation about conflict because I literally cannot take it anymore. And then I walked away from those conversations feeling like, was I even heard? Was I? Did I communicate what I wanted to communicate? And so So then over time, over time, and I thank God. And I also thank the relationships that I had at the time. I realized that having conflict resolution and conflict management is so valuable because oftentimes when you become skilled at it, you are having those conversations before the conflict happens. You are foreseeing that there may be conflict in the future. So we're just going to sort it out right now. (laughs) Let me just tell you (laughs) what it, what it's going to be. And that way you don't have to have those harder conversations because it is tough having conversations when emotions are high, when you're super duper frustrated, like, you know, then you cannot always count on yourself to communicate as clearly as you would like. So half of the battle of having good conflict resolution is timing and having hard, hard conversations in times of peace
1: That's so good. I mean, that is really, really good. Do you know that you were describing, when you were talking about this conversation, some of the symptoms of anxiety? And you know, anxiety is very much one of the most common mental health problems next to depression. And so when you're talking about having that tightness of chest, that heart palpitations, feeling like you're about to have a heart attack, all those things were signs of anxiety. I had it. Anxiety... It's underpinned by fear. Hmm. In times of conflict, it's like a fear of a bad outcome. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be interesting if people would just put a thumbs up or something. How many times have you had that experience where your chest is thumping and you're sweating and it feels like you're going to pass out because of a situation when it's really driven by unnatural, undocumented fear of something that once you confront it, it doesn't even happen the way you thought it was. That's true. I really want to encourage people again to get that skill of conflict resolution as a means of protecting your mental health so good so we talked about managing your stress um we talked a bit before so i won't go back into it too much but maintaining healthy relationships but that came up earlier and we talked about the benefits of maintaining healthy relationships and what we can gather from in terms of keeping our minds mentally well increased self-awareness i really have to pause at this one because again we started out with the whole issue of stress right when we become really aware of ourselves like what what are our hot buttons? You know, what are the things that really push us over the air? What is it my family history that predisposes me to things? Becoming self-aware. What are my blind spots? What are the things that I don't really see about myself that could have be been impacting on all my relationships, impacting on all my coping skills? Because there's a little theory that I like to use all the time when we're talking about mental health, a theory by a man named Kaplan. And he said that if you have these three things in balance all the time, your risk becoming mentally unhealthy will be drastically decreased and he said if you have good coping skills
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you have a realistic perception of the life and situations that are being affecting you and if you have good supports if you keep those three things in balance he said the chances of, of having psychiatric episodes or manual illness in your life is greatly greatly reduced and I love to share that with people. Because there's some very practical things. Three practical things that we can do. But we have to be self-aware. What type of person am I? Am I a pessimist? Do I always see the bad side of things? And if that's who I am, how can I work on shifting that? So I start to see my glass half full. Am I the type of person that likes to beat the drum? You started to talk about that earlier. And beating the drum is a euphemism that one of my friends coined. Beating the drum is when the person talks about the same negative situation over and over and over and over without understanding that every time you talk about the negativity, you're reliving the negative experience.
0: And everybody else is too that has to listen to it.
1: Are we the type of people that like to beat the drum? And you know, how do we stop beating the drum and start shifting our perspective and talking from a more healthier point? Our coping skills. How do we cope with life? A lot of persons who have stresses in life and cope with things like substance, using illicit substances and alcohol and things like that also predisperse themselves to issues of mental health. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Is my coping skills effective for the situations that I'm dealing with? Sometimes Mm -hmm. our coping skills can be fine for little things, but as we progress, we have critical incidents that we need to look at how to expand my toolbox. And then relationships. You talked about relationships last week, and the gentleman, I think he talked about two different types of relationships. When you're in crisis, when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling your mental health is under threat, you have to look at what kind of relationships do I have? Who's my go-to people? Are they effective with the things that I'm dealing with now? Mm-hmm. You know, do I need a professional for this? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. looking at becoming self-aware, we know from a business perspective, from a, or, you know, when we do SWOT analysis on organizations and things like that, we need to do SWOT analysis on ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What are the things about me that are a threat to my mental health? What behaviors do I engage in that are a threat? What are my opportunities? Right here and now tonight, as I'm listening to this podcast, what opportunities do I have right now to improve my mental health?
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Popa, you just dropped so many great, great, great points. I want to touch on one of the things that you said earlier about being self-aware because being self-aware requires balance. It requires being able to look at yourself objectively Last week, we talked about it in the context of our relationships. So many times we look at life through the lens of what's happening to us. Yes. So it's a slight thing, but we are probably more self-absorbed than we are self-aware. Self-absorbed is like, they did this to me. They don't want me to be great. Look at how life is just doing me wrong. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Versus me looking at myself objectively and saying, Hey, this is where I'm, I'm doing pretty good. These are also the areas that I need to grow. And it's nobody else's fault, but my own it's nobody else's problem, but my own. And I'm taking ownership of the good. And I'm also taking ownership of the opportunities. And so those are questions that we have to ask ourselves. And I love that you said this because when we are more self-absorbed than we are self-aware, our expectations of life are not real. They're not real. Okay. When I'm walking through, life thinking that so many things are about me that everything is tied up and it's surrounding me like (laughs) Your expectations about life and the way that things operate, they just not real. Okay. I think about people who are like, oh, look at them. They didn't speak to me. Look at them. She rolled her eyes at me. Look at them. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And I'm like, you really don't think that people have other things going on in their mind besides you. Like everybody is not thinking about you. Odds are everybody is thinking more about themselves than they're thinking about you.
1: (laughs) when when we were talking in preparation we were talking about this whole buzzword now everybody's diagnosing everybody else as being narcissistic but nobody's looking in the mirror hi hello Michael Jackson said it best start there exactly (laughs) nobody's looking in the mirror (laughs) and you find that we have a very individualistic society right now where we have so many messages sent through all sorts of mediums that is all about you you know and so we tend to look at only 50% of who we really are because when we talk about self-awareness we talk about four aspects of the self that we need to check out to get balance and like you Mm -hmm. said it's all about balance so it's about the open self it's about the blind self we can't understand the blind self is a blind area in all of our things that we don't see about ourselves that are there that are impacting on our life and so the only way to see your blind self is to be in relationship oh the only way to be
0: informed about your blind self is to be in relationships you guys Just just let that marinate for a second because that means that relationship has got to be able to speak to the parts of you that you don't see. And sometimes we're in relationships, but those relationships bet not tell me something about myself (laughs) that I do not see. No, thank you. No, thank you.
1: And think about, that. I mean, that never we off a little bit, but think about it. When you're in a car and there's a blind spot in the car, what do you say to the passenger? Can you check and see what's coming? Yes. And without that, you increase your risk to crash with somebody else. True. And the same with our mental health. When we don't give others the opportunity to speak into our lives and expose to us the blind spots in our lives, we increase our risk of crashing.
0: Mm-hmm. It is so, so true. So true. I think a lot of times the reason why we don't open up ourselves to our relationships so that people can speak to the blind self is because we're not sure that the people who are in relationships are really trustworthy and safe places for them to be able to do that. Am I talking right? Are we talking right? Somebody put it in the chat if this is resonating.
1: This is so good to me tonight. that brings up the whole issue which is not in where we're supposed to be but where we are is the whole issue of the impact of trauma on mental health because you Mm -hmm. know we talk about something called post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. which is We affect that a trauma affects us after the situation has occurred. So post-trauma, after the trauma, the stress that remains impacts on us. And a big part of PTSD is the triggers. Things that take us back, things that unlock those, those memories in our mind that we would rather not deal with. And when those memories are unlocked, they flood us back with all the emotion and sensations and everything as if we were just being traumatized again. And so one of the big triggers, I think, that have traumatized a lot of people is broken trust and so because of that broken trust when they get into relationships where it is safe immediately they feel vulnerable that Mm -hmm. trigger goes off bing Mm bing bing i better not say anything i better not ask them what you think you know so you've been up all night you've not been sleeping it's a sign and you're having insomnia which is a sign of stress and you know a precursor to mental illness you can't sleep and all this stuff, and you're scared to ask anybody because the last time you open yourself and shared something with somebody they used to against you mm-hmm. so you know i really want to encourage people today to take that leap again try mm-hmm. to trust again if you try to find somebody again who when you're having struggle when you're having signs and systems instead of isolating and talking to yourself and only having your perspective i dare you to trust again mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a as a preventative factor in becoming mentally unwell.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And just to go back, because I think that sometimes we withdraw from people as if Going into isolation is the solution to broken trust. But what we identified earlier is that going into isolation is not better than dealing with broken trust because you're still not moving forward in a healthy way. So, what is our next step back? number
1: four? Yes. Number four is making a spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. And I really want to, I use that word intentionally. I did not say making a religious connection. Mm-hmm. I did. And say going to you know a church and finding creed and all, but making a spiritual connection. Why am I saying that? We are all tripartite. We have body, we have soul, and we have spirit. We're so good at taking care of the body. We exercise, we run, we do all sorts of calisthenics to make our body look good, right? We take care of our soul, our mind, our real, our emotion. We study, we look at movies and things that like we do, but we don't take care of our spirit. And it's when we get into critical incident stress, or cumulative stress, post-traumatic stress, all these things that are precursors to mental health, where we get to those crucial points where we're looking for Hope In a hopeless situation, all that we fed to our body, all that we said to our soul is not enough to sustain us. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can be sustained in times of critical crisis, when everything around us, when our coping skills and everything else is failing, is to be able to get hope in something that's exterior to ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you can't build that type of relationship and spirituality in times of crisis. So mm-hmm. as a preventative factor, a protective factor doctor. I encourage people to start to feed their spirit, start to build inside themselves a relationship with God or whatever they call it, that gives them hope in times of hopelessness, that gives them the capacity to see beyond themselves. A lot of times when people commit suicide, it's because they were hopeless. It wasn't Mm -hmm. because they were poor. It wasn't because they, you know, didn't have a lot of people around them. Actually, I was preparing for this and looking at the number of church leaders, the number of movie stars and things like that that have committed suicide. They had money, they had fame, they had all sorts of people around them, but they had no
0: hope. I want to touch on that. When I think about hope, I automatically connect it to my faith. But I do want to just kind of break it down a little bit. When we're talking about hope, we're really talking about options. When a person reaches a point in their life where they feel like they do not have any other options, that is they take severe steps. And part of the options that we have in life are connected to our connections. So within ourselves as individuals, we have a finite number of options. But when we are connected to a community, the number of options grow exponentially based on our community. And so that is another reason why isolation is so detrimental to us as people is because no man is an island. (laughs) We said this last week. No person is meant to do life on their own. You are not better off without relationships because what it does is it reduces your options in life. Because we are not healthily connected within communities, we reach the end of ourselves too soon. We reach the end of our options too soon. Not because they don't exist, but because we have been taught and conditioned that those options outside of ourselves are not as valuable as they are.
1: Oh, talking so good. And I know we don't have a lot of time left. So I've got to go to my fifth form, which is managing our thought life. Mm hmm. For those who are faith-based, I'm mean, going start with the scripture that says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the faith-based version. The psychologists say in CBT that what you think affects how you feel affects how you behave. Mm-hmm. When we don't know how to manage our thought life. Imagine it. There was a story in the Bible where they sent the people out and they said, We were as grasshoppers in our own eyes. When we don't have good thoughts about ourselves, when we don't have good self awareness, how we see and think about ourselves and see ourselves also affects how others see us. You know, it affects the quality of our life and our life experiences. It impacts on the amount of stress in our lives and it decreases or increases our risk for mental health issues. Mm -hmm. We have to learn how to channel our thought life. There's a psychological technique that's called mindfulness. And it talks mm-hmm. about learning how to live in the present, learning how to focus on the moment. That's what the psychologists say. What the Bible says, whatever things are good, whatever things are honest, whatever things are pure, whatever things are just, whatever things are good, report, if there be any work, if there be any prayers, think on these things. I want to tell you that whether you come from a psychological perspective or biblical or theological perspective, the message is the same. When we manage our thought life, we decrease our risk for unhealthy impacts on our mental health. Mhm. I love that because I I feel like the operative word in
0: that statement is manage. And too often times we just take life as it comes. We let those waves just roll over us and Mm -hmm. we are just kind of rolling with the punches of life. But there is a space, there is a space of ownership. There is a space of leadership that we have to take in our lives to be able to tame the lion of mental health because stress is gonna come at us. It's not gonna stop, right? Hard days are gonna come. The Bible says it like this, rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everybody's gonna have bad days, but the question is how well are you managing it? Everybody's gonna have trying relationships, but how well are you managing it? It's not gonna do us any good to hope for ideal situations every day because we already know that that hope is not ever going to come true. (laughs) So we have got to, got to, got to be really good at Managing things. Dr. Apopa, thank you so much.
1: And you know, I hear somebody saying, I don't hear them, but I hear them. So, how am I supposed to manage my thought life? Mm-hmm. One of the simplest ways I have found and encouraged clients is to write affirmations to themselves. Write an affirmation, put it on your mirror, and then say to yourself each and every day, I am beautiful, I am worth it, I am more than enough. You know, I can do all the things. Write yourself affirmations. And then you speak them so that we learn through repetition as human beings. And sometimes from our childhoods, we've had so many negative things spoken. And so we have to erase the negative things by replacing them with positive thoughts. And you can do that through an affirmation. Absolutely.
0: And I love the practice of writing out affirmations because we have had a theme tonight. There are so many things that we have got to do during times of peace right? When we're feeling good, those are the days that we want to write out those affirmations because on the day that you don't feel good, that's not the day to be trying to salvage and prevent negative mental health. Those are the days to reach for the life raft that you've already put (laughs) (laughs) to the side here for those days when you're going to have hard times. So during times of peace, the days that you're feeling super great about yourself, write out those affirmations because they will come in handy. Don't wish away the bad days, prepare for the bad days, and you will win. Dr. Popa. we are just about out of time. So thank you again so much. For those of you who have enjoyed this conversation tonight, please leave a thumbs up or a word of affirmation. We're already talking about it <laughs> in the comments. Let us know what were some <laughs> of the, the best parts of this. Please go to my website, www.candislam.com. And there you will be able to get a free download. This is the free download that we offered last week and we will offer it again today. And that is the builders and killers download. And this is by Dr. Jeff Williams. He was our guest last week. And it is 10 people that determine your destiny. Really, really good content, guys. You'll want to read over it and take notes from tonight because Listen, if you take the nuggets that we shared last week and you combine them with this week, honey, you're going somewhere. You are going somewhere. You're going somewhere real good. (laughs) Thank you again for joining me tonight, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Growth and Greatness Podcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe to make sure you never miss a new episode. And follow me on social media at Candice Lamb. That's C-A-N-D-I-C-E, L-A-M-B-E. To catch the replay of this live show, check out my channel, Rain Life Entertainment on YouTube. That's R-E-I-G-N, Life Entertainment on YouTube.